listening to the Right Talk Wednesday podcast, made from the video stream, which happens every Wednesday at 6 p.m. Central on both YouTube and Twitch. If you'd like to watch the actual live stream, you may do so by visiting musecharmer.com and going to the Right Talk Wednesday show page. You can also find archives of the show on YouTube under the live tab. Enjoy. Welcome to Write Talk Wednesday. I'm your host, Kit Kalestow, coming to you live from the office cabinet in the Missouri Ozarks. And today I am joined by TJ Radcliffe, and we're going to be talking about his book, Sir Gawain and the Green Knight and Ham, which sounds like it'll be a lot of fun to talk about. <laughs> As always, I want to give the brief warning that I am dealing, I have my office cat, so... You know, hopefully she won't interrupt the stream, but if she does, well, she's a cat. She does what she wants. And I also want to give a brief programming note. This will be our last show until after the new year. So we're going to take a break here um, for the holidays for the next couple of weeks, and then we will come back the first Wednesday in January. So welcome, TJ. I am so glad to have you join us. Would you mind telling our listeners and our viewers just a little bit about yourself? Thanks. Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm a Canadian. <laughs> I lived in the U.S. for a while. Um, I'm uh, a physicist and engineer by education, uh, but I have written uh, and written written poetry, written plays, uh, written a little for for short film uh, for many years, and have drifted uh, increasingly toward narrative poetry as apparently the place uh, that I'm happy. So I've been very focused on that uh, for the last few years. I, I've semi dropped out of the technology world and, and my wife and I moved to Gabriel Island off Canada's West Coast uh, about five years ago, where we live now. Well, great, great. So um, I think we should probably begin by identifying what narrative poetry is because I think of poetry and I think of like a very specific like form and function. So could you describe a little bit what narrative poetry is? Yeah, well, it's literally poetry that tells a story. Uh, so you could say all the way back to Homer or Gilgamesh, these were their, their epics in the sense the story they tell is very large scale but they're still telling a story. They're not uh, something, uh, you know, like the famous poem about the fellow eating the plums. Uh, that's not really telling a story. It's capturing a moment in time. And short poems, which is what a lot of people are familiar with from school or other exposure, uh, or even songs, are, which, are, which are a form of poetry, are what I think of as being the literature of moments. They they capture this instant. The haiku is probably the most extreme example of that, where it's a moment in time, it's a feeling, it's an experience, and that's it. Whereas a narrative poem uh, has temporality. It carries a story. It, it's about characters doing things. It has plot. It has action. It has dialogue, uh, at least potentially, in the same way that a novel would would have. And in fact, uh, what I'm writing, I, I, categories are hard, right? But we need to put names on things. 
And if I put a name on the kind of thing that I'm doing focused on now, it is a, a novel informal verse. So I want to bring in all of the machinery of the modern novel with you know, psychological insight and, and plot and character and development and story arcs and uh, subplots, while at the same time uh, doing it in, in formal verse. I write formal metrical poetry of various kinds. Uh, Sir Gawain and the Green Knight and the Ham is mostly in what's called anapestic tetrameter, which a lot of us are familiar with from you know, Dr. Seuss. Or, or Robert Service is kind of da 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 da. da. Uh, it's a very fun, bouncy rhythm, but at the same time, it it has a naturalness to it that I found very surprising when I was working on this. Some of the stuff you can read and and almost forget it's poetry. It's it's just words on a page. Uh, so so that's what narrative poetry is. It is a is ordinary narrative storytelling uh, that happens to be wrapped in a poetic or metrical package. Well, thank you. That's very helpful and interesting because while I certainly got the Dr. Seuss reference from your title, I didn't really think of Dr. Seuss as a form of poetry, but yeah, I mean, it, it very much is. It's, it's a story and it's in verse and yeah. 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 And we have this idea that that kind of story is for kids. And, and either, I guess, I mean, kind of, you know, aren't we all just kids inside? Uh, but, but why don't we have stories like this as, as adults? It went out of fashion uh, probably, you know, 100, 150 years ago. Uh, so probably the last really major uh, long narrative poem in English was uh, Tennyson's Arthur which was published in, in segments in the 1850s. Uh, and then novels took over and they, they became the thing. And what I'm trying to do is steal <laughs> from, from, from novels. Uh, and I've tried to write novels. I'm not very good at it. Uh, whereas if you wrap these things up in verse, suddenly it becomes much easier for me. I, I don't know why. No, it makes very, it makes a lot of sense to me. We all have different strengths and. Absolutely. You know, yeah. Yes. Some yeah. things come, come easier to others. Yeah. yeah. So, and there, sorry, go ahead. Oh yeah. no, you go. Well, there have been a few instances of uh, significant uh, novels in formal verse in the last 20 or 30 years. Uh, Golden Gate by Vikram Seth, which is told in Pushkin sonnets, uh, which is a very formal thing. I am nowhere near. That's like high formal because he's got a very strict structure and strict rhyme scheme. And, and effectively, every chapter is just a single sonnet. Really, really challenging. Uh, and there is a book by an author whose name I forget because I'm terrible with names called The Marlowe Papers, award-winning novel in verse uh, written in Shakespearean uh, blank verse. So unrhymed iambic pentameter. Uh, which is a much more much more flexible form, and it's, I work in it a lot because you can tell stories, and you still have have this this poetic rhythmicity that uh, that seems natural to me. Interesting. I may have to check those out. This is I have to admit, I've 
pretty much worked in novels for the past 20 plus years. So this is all new territory for me. <laughs> it's a, it's a pretty niche, uh, genre. I, I guess, uh, I am, I'm pitching a work at the moment, which is a riff on, uh, Romeo and Juliet, uh, called Capuleft and Monterite about a world that is divided by handedness. And, uh, I'm, I'm ambidextrous personally. <laughs> and, and so this idea of division by hand of this kind of amused me. And it is uh, remarkably interest, remarkably difficult uh, to scare up commercial interest in, in a property of this nature. You, you go to an agent, you say, I've got this, this novel in formal verse. It's about Romeo and Juliet, but it's not really. Nobody dies. Everybody winds up in bed with each other. <laughs> and, and, and they don't seem to think there's a huge market for that, which surprises me, but you, you never know. It's day will come. Yeah. So do you self-publish then? I self-published. Wayne and the Green Knight is self-published. Uh, it is, it's published by uh, Sidori Press, which is my own imprint. In Canada, to get ISBNs, you have to register as a publisher. So I thought, what the heck, I'll become a publisher. <laughs> so, and I've, so I've produced that and, uh, my wife and I have collaborated. My wife is a painter, uh, and I wrote uh, a middle grade reader, a chapter book that she illustrated. So it's called the uh, Inner Islands Trilogy. Three, three books about the far future where humans did something to make many animals intelligent and then disappeared. And so you have these communities of diverse creatures, raccoons, otters, a skunk, uh, a crows, ravens, and so on, wolves, um, who are getting along in the world. And, and this is a particular story of finding out where the humans went, what actually happened. Uh, and that's self-published as well. I kind of regret that I didn't push that harder uh, with conventional publishing, but you know, how much rejection can one take? <laughs> I read these stories of authors who you know, were rejected 20, 30, 40 times. And I'm like, mm, 10 or 20 is starting to get to be my limit. I I understand. I actually went fully self-published probably about 10 years ago. Mm -hmm. And mostly I... I am a huge proponent of if you can do the work yourself, you deserve all the money. I believe that. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So, um, I mean, I could do a whole series of shows on, on my, my thoughts on self-publishing, but yeah, no, I, I, I find it so much more free to be self-published and. Yeah, it is not been uh, lucrative. I will say I'm not one of nature's marketers. Uh, I have worked for myself for many years. I'm a consulting scientist. I know how to market myself as a technologist. I am still really working on how to, you know, to tell people this, this book is great. This, this piece of art I've created is the best thing ever. You'll love it. I either through lack of confidence or whatever. <laughs> it's just a very difficult thing to do. And I don't think I'm alone in this. I think a lot of creators struggle with this. As I said, my wife is a painter. It's been a learning curve for her as well. And we're very fortunate here. Gabriola uh, sells itself as the Isle of the Arts. 
And we really are there. You can't throw a stick here without hitting an artist or a musician or a writer or an actor. So it has been a very, very supportive community. But it is, I think, still a challenge for, for many of us to go out there and say, this work is great. You should buy it. Definitely. It's a challenge for me. I think it's probably the number one challenge of everybody I've talked to on the show that it's it's the yeah. marketing. And I think it's not so much that we are maybe bad at selling ourselves. It's that, and again, I could go on and on, but yeah. I think on the tech side, a lot of the silos and that that are built kind of cater to certain types of marketing activities that just don't come naturally for us creators. I, what, what do you have in mind specifically? Um, Like trying to, you know, trying to game the algorithms on Facebook and Twitter. Oh X gosh, and, yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. Just not my thing. I must say I've been on Mastodon for a little over a year now and have found it by far the most writer-friendly platform. Uh, it's how we connected um, mm -hmm. of, of any social media that I've been on. So that that has been in the writing community on Mastodon has I found being very positive, very nurturing. Uh, you just you feel visible and you feel, hey, there are these other people out there, some published, some not. Uh, and so many of us are dealing with such similar things. I'm not really a community person. I'm I'm an autistic introvert. Uh, and uh, yet, nevertheless, the kind of community that I, I found on Amazon has been just very positive and uh, and and enabling, I guess is the, the word. Yeah. Definitely. I I preach Mastodon to anybody I talk to who who yeah. we end up having this conversation because um I I've been on it yeah about a year myself as well. I set up um the opponent author dot social server. Right. Which were tiny, but I will say if somebody wants to sign up and kind of just get their feet wet and see what it's like, um, yeah. you know, my server's open to writers, but yeah, it's um it's it's been amazing. Yeah, I have been if I ever go really mad, I I considered uh setting up a local server for for Gabriel Island just for Islanders, which I think would be a fascinating experience. It's I, I can handle the technology end of it, the moderation and the people end of it, I would not be so good at. <laughs> so I need to collaborate, find someone who was uh, local, who was uh, you know, willing to collaborate on that. We're a very volunteer run community. So there probably are people out there. And right now, everybody's on Facebook, the, the community, their community bulletin boards, the communication on Facebook. And having these things in corporate hands is just not great. Uh, I'm, I'm not a radical anti-capitalist or anything, but I, I would like to see us less dependent on these large corporate entities. Yeah. yeah. But as I said, that's probably a whole series of shows in and of yes. itself. <laughs> <laughs> it takes us far afield. Sorry. You said you want you wanted the conversation to wander organically, and man, I will wander. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> I will too. Yeah. So since I was right about the book being connected to Dr. Seuss, I'm guessing because it's Sir Gawain and the Green Knight, it's also Arthurian. It is, absolutely. <laughs> and it, it does follow so. 
there is a poem, a, a, a narrative poem. Maybe it's a romance. This is the sort of thing that medievalists argue about. Is it really a romance? Is it something else? It's, it's a thing. It, it, it's, it's, it's itself. Um, there's a poem that was written more or less contemporaneous with the Canterbury Tales in the late 1300s. Uh, do I have that right? Yes, I think so. Um, and uh, it was written by a northern poet, probably. Uh, so the dialect is a very different form of Middle English from what we might be used to from, from Chaucer. And it's written in a form of poetry, mostly, uh, that's called alliterative verse. So Beowulf, for example, which is the, the earliest poem in English, so-called, it's a, it's a a poem about Beowulf was a Dane, uh, but it's written in Anglo-Saxon, which was uh, English before the Normans invaded. Uh, these older poems have a form where they're they're not a metrical verse the way we understand it. They have repeated sounds, and so you would typically every line is broken into two pieces. There's a sejura, which is a, a what poets call a pause. There's a pause in between the two pieces. And there's a couple of stressed syllables that start with a particular sound in the first half of the line. And one of them is repeated in the second half of the line. So it creates a certain rhythmicity from the sound, the repeated sounds. And that's the verse form of uh, Sir Gawain and the Green Knight. And the language, even though it's the same time as, as Chaucer, it is a, it's much, much more difficult to read. I can kind of pretty much manage Chaucerian English uh, okay. I am hopeless if I if I sit down with the original manuscript of Sir Gawain and the Green Knight, a, a, a transcription of it. it. It's very, very difficult to struggle through. Uh, but there are some great translations. Tolkien did a did a translation, and there are there are others. And it tells this strange story of Christmas time at King Arthur's court. And all the knights are gathered there and they're drinking and carousing. Sir Gawain is Arthur's nephew. And he is, he doesn't really have a, a, a he, hasn't, he hasn't achieved a lot at this point in his life. He's a younger guy and he's feeling a little put upon by the other knights. And into this Christmas celebration charges the green knight on a green horse all in green. And there are all these green man legends in Northern England and Ireland and Scotland. And, and the Green Knight probably is reflective of those. The Gwain poet probably was working in Northern Wales. We're not sure. Uh, and the Green Knight challenges the Knights of the Round Table to a beheading contest. The deal is one of them can chop off the Green Knight's head. If the Green Knight if, if, if they'll come to the Green Knight the following year and let the Green Knight chop off their head. And this was a thing in medieval tales. And of course, it's always a magical creature. So Gwen steps up, chops the Green Knight's head off, and he doesn't die. He picks his head up and the head says, you know, come to me next Christmas at the Green Chapel and rides off. So Gwen's now in a pickle. He has to do something with this. And in the original poem, he, he lives out the year, he rides off at Christmas, and he comes across this castle, which has a count and a countess and this old lady, a crone. 
and there's something very mysterious going on. Uh, and he makes a deal with the count of the castle that they will exchange gifts, which was another medieval thing people would guests and, and hosts would agree that whatever they would receive, they would exchange in the in the three days before Christmas, before Gawain rides off to the Green Chapel, which is nearby. And the Countess is trying to seduce Gawain in, in the midst of all this, and this old lady is kind of hovering around in the background. Gawain manages to avoid seduction, being a noble knight. Uh, he and the Count do exchange gifts, and eventually he rides off to the Green Chapel, meets the Green Knight, who takes a couple of whacks at his head, uh, and Gwyn experiences his own cowardice. He's he's filled with fear. It's This is the thing that appealed to me about the story, is Gwyn is a remarkably human character for, for some of these medieval romances. And there's a lot of discussion in the literature around the story about is this a Christian allegory and what does a greenness mean and and uh he gets a girdle which is just a, a rope or a belt from the countess that's supposed to ward off death and is this a Christ symbol I don't know about that but I know that Gwen is this guy who's trying to do the right thing and he's scared and he manages to find the courage to do what he believes to be right and this breaks a spell the green knight turns out to be the count who's had a charm thrown on him by the crone who was morgan lefay arthur's half sister and all this has jumped on us in the last little bit of the poem so i tried to do a little more foreshadowing in my version but i followed the basic story fairly fairly well though so those basic elements still exist except there's this pig. <laughs> and, and I got I got the title. I literally was joking around with somebody and and somehow the words uh Sir Gwen and the Green Knight and Ham came out of my mouth. And I was that's what's that about? Uh are you familiar with Terry Pratchett? Yeah, mostly through the TV shows, but yeah. Okay, he wrote one of his early books that he wrote when he was 17 is called The Carpet People, about people living like in our carpets. And for them, it's the world. It's this huge jungle. And he says he the, the book actually came to him because a friend of his was walking around in his house and he said, be careful, you'll disturb the carpet people. <laughs> and from that, the whole that whole book group, this was kind of the same that that. Uh, we get, I think, as creators, we get these threads that just fall from the sky. And mm -hmm. if you pull on them and follow them to see where they lead, uh, an incidental thing like that can can take you anywhere. So it was going to be, obviously, had to be an anapestic tetrameter because it was like Dr. Seuss because of the Anne Ham. It had to have a pig in it because um, Anne Ham. Uh, so Gwen in his, his adventures encounters this wild boar and rescues it. And of course, eventually it rescues him and, and so on. And the, one of the things that happened in the course of all this, uh, which is a, a, one of my acting mentors used to say that if you're doing art right, it changes you. So you create and it, you reflect on stuff, right? Well, for, for me, the process of creation 
is a process of reflection. You're discovering, you're exploring as you go through this world that you're making up in your head. Uh, so my wife is vegetarian. I'm an omnivore. But by the time I got to this end, end of this book, I was like, I can't eat pigs anymore. <laughs> they're, 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 they're too smart. They're too, they have too much personality. They're too much like us. <laughs> so that's kind of the, the, the concrete change that came out of writing this. Uh, this is what happens. And, and if you'd asked me getting into it, uh, what do you think the outcome will be? That would not have been on the list, even a little bit. And I think that's one of the wonderful things about the process of creation. It is a process of discovery. It's a process of exploration. We never know what is going to uh, be there when we get to the end of that thread. Exactly. And I have two pigs here on the homestead. They are pets. Uh, and so, yeah, I have to admit, I, I, I still do. I still do eat pork, but <laughs> I, I, uh, I, I come from a line of Iowa farmers. So, I mean, it's, it's kind of baked into my DNA, but yeah. I, yeah. We raised pigs and, and chickens and turkeys and whatnot when I was growing up and I've been involved in the process from end to end. Um, and people just have to draw the line, you know, where yeah. they're comfortable with. I am a big advocate of less, I think, mm -hmm. uh, I eat less meat than I used to, uh, and I won't, you know, if I'm on the road and traveling and and what's on the menu is a bacon burger, I'll eat it. Uh, it's, but, but, but it's, you know, 99% uh, lower than, than it used to be when it comes to pork. So it's just a, a journey we're all on and we have to figure, figure out our way forward and hopefully support each other in our way forward. I know people who are like, oh no, you should be uh, whatever. <laughs> and I will say, as I said, my wife is a vegetarian. She is uh, highly accepting of where I am uh, on this journey. And I'm deeply grateful for that. that that's wonderful. Yeah. Um, that's kind of where, where we are too, is, you know, doing, doing less, doing what we can. And yeah. 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 Yeah, but I was just gonna say I taught Truffle, the one who's a pot-bellied pig. She actually sits for a treat like a dog would. Oh, that's lovely. Yeah, yeah. they're very intelligent animals. They really are. They are. Yeah. 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 I always remember my father going into the pig pen one day to muck muck things out, and he came back out and he said, "You know, I just and they come and they snuffle around my feet, and they're friendly and happy. And I think if I fell down unconscious, they'd eat me." Yep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah they're kind of like that yeah so it is uh i i've tried in, i think in all of our creative work we try and bring all these aspects of ourselves in into the work uh so i've lived in you know in rural areas i've lived closer to nature and and medieval people lived really you know close to nature uh so i've i've tried to use that as much as possible in this particular book where uh, you know, Gwen's riding around, he's out in the cold, he's taking care of his horse, his horse is taking care of him. Uh, I've tried to make that experience as authentic as possible so that one feels you know, you're in the, the medieval forest, which was a dangerous place. I, I don't think 
all the dangers I've imagined were actually there. The you know the, the, the he Wayne rescues the the boar from uh, from the wild men who hunt in their dreams. <laughs> they run around in their sleep and uh, and rescues the boar by by waking them up. So I don't think that was necessarily realistic, uh, but I have tried to imbue it with a feeling of authenticity. Well, it sounds wonderful. I, I know you sent me a copy and I'm thinking, you know, here on this break between semesters, it might just be like the perfect palate cleanser to to dive I, dive into. <laughs> I hope you enjoy it. I, well, I hope you. Yeah, it it's these are things that are not for everyone, uh, I guess. Um, <laughs> and I know I I am uh, kind of an omnivore when it comes to reading. I I read across the spectrum, everything from, you know, the, the pulpiest pulp to all the, all the high fancy stuff. And, uh, but I know even, even with that spectrum, there are things I prefer, things I avoid. And uh, I think, I think we're all like that. I am simply hoping that the, the people to whom this appeals will eventually be able to find it which I think is the fundamental marketing problem uh, for all of us as, as writers. There is a population of enthusiastic readers out there for practically everything. It is a question of catching their notice. And in the cacophony of the modern internet, that is extremely challenging on both sides. As a reader, I will go out looking for a particular type of book. Why can't I find this? I know it's out there. Uh, and you know, recommendation engines, things like this, Goodreads. There's a, a new site called Hardcover, um, which is trying to get the wheels turning on a more community-driven basis. Uh, I haven't been, I haven't followed it very much. I'm a member, but I haven't done very much with it. But I think there are some efforts out there who recognize this is a problem. How do we connect the the readers to the writers uh, across genres across the world? Uh, it is it is an unsolved problem. I don't think uh, generative, you know, large language models are going to solve it for us. No, yeah. Yeah. I have I have an account on Bookworm, which is okay. Activity Pub Federated, just like Mastodon. Oh, cool. Yeah, write that down. Bookworm yeah. W Y R M, I think uh, it is. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, yeah. I um, I'm not on it very much, and that might be, but I never use Goodreads either, except for just to post my books as an author. So I, yeah, I I know people who swear by Bookworm. Yeah. Um, as okay. far as finding books, and so, but yeah, that's that that's the site I'm on. Um, to try to find those other books that people are interested in. Okay, I will have a look at it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Get my own books on. <laughs> yeah, I am Kit Kit Chicken because it's just a reader account, but I'm Kit Chicken on on Bookworm cool. for anybody who's out there that. <laughs> That's great. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, if anybody has been listening to this and they think that this book sounds like their cup of tea, which I hope you know, we've got lots of listeners who do. Yep. Um, I just want to um, remind everybody that information about TJ's work, about the book, there's a link on the show notes page um, that you can go purchase it. Um, I Is it just on Amazon or is it wide? 
No, it's on Amazon, but worldwide. So Amazon okay. UK, US, Canada, everywhere I could get it. Uh, it is on... Actually, I'm not sure if it's on the iBook thing or not. Uh, there's an Apple book mm -hmm. site. Uh, I have one or two things up there, but I'm not sure if this is among them. So it's basically basically on Amazon. Great. Well, the links are in my show notes. And as we wind up our very fascinating and wide-ranging discussion today, uh, would you mind telling our listeners and viewers where they can find out more about you and your work? Sorry, say that again? I'm, would I'm... You, it's okay. Would you mind telling our listeners where you can find more about you and your work? Oh, yeah. Um, I My my publishing site is siduri.net, S-I-D-U-R-I.net. It's a goddess out of Gilgamesh, um, is probably the best place to find my work. Uh, I have, a, I don't think I sent you the link for this. I have a Substack called World of Wonders, where I write about science and knowledge and stuff. Uh, and uh, I'm on Mastodon at uh, TJ Radcliffe at Mastodon.scot, which happened. I have, I have some family connections to Scotland. I wound up there. Uh, and I think uh, I think that's the primary. Those are the primary things. So tjradcliffe.com is is a blog and has you know my resume and stuff uh, and some older articles on things. But I've been writing mostly on this on Substack these days at World of Wonders. Great and yes, you sent that link and it is in the show notes. Fantastic, thank you. <laughs> Wonderful. Well, just a reminder for programming. We are going to be taking a break the next two Wednesdays. We'll come back. If I'm looking at my calendar right, January 3rd, the first Wednesday in January. I want to thank TJ for being here. This has been a fascinating conversation. And I look forward to reading your book and, you know, connecting even further. Thank you. It's been wonderful. I really appreciate the opportunity and have a great holiday season. Thank you. And everybody out there too. And, and you as well have Thanks. a wonderful holiday season. You've been listening to the right talk Wednesday podcast taken from the live streams hosted on Twitch and YouTube every Wednesday at 6 PM central. The music you're hearing is lighted up from purple planet music. Learn more at purple-planet.com. To subscribe to our show, to subscribe to this podcast at any of your favorite outlets, please visit musecharmer.com. You can subscribe to a feed of all shows or just the Right Talk Wednesday show. Either way, we appreciate your support. Don't forget to like and follow us on Twitch, YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram. And if you are so moved, we would love it if you would go to our Ko-fi and drop us a little donation. The links are in the footer at musecharmer.com. Thank you so much for listening and we'll talk to you next time.